0: And when women actually do invest, they outperform men as investors. So there's a gap, right? They're actually make great investors. And I'll share a couple couple of things that I've seen and all the women that we work with and you know, thousands of women and meetups we have and everything, um, but they're not doing it enough. So there's a confidence gap. And the confidence gap is not like an intellect gap or an experience gap. Um, there's a lot of reasons for it. And so and knowledge isn't enough, you know, Jeanette. I don't know about you, but like you'll tell people this is the way to 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 maybe buying a rental property, and they still don't do it. So it's mm-hmm. not a a knowledge gap, but it's a confidence gap. And the way we migrate, um, man, that or manage that is like to really build a community, because when one woman does something, she brings her friends. You know, she goes in a group to go see Taylor Swift or go see the Barbie movie or go, you know, or go see Beyonce. Like that shifted the economy last summer. So women have so much buying power, but now we need to do that in, in the investing world. Let's get ready to scale.
1: Hey, guys, thanks for joining us for yet another episode of Ready to Scale. My name is Jeanette Friedrich, and I am being joined today by Liz Faircloth. Liz is the co-founder of the Real Estate Invest Her. Invest Her mission is to empower women real estate investors around the globe to live a financially free and balanced life. Their vision is to provide an intimate global platform where women can cultivate deeper connections while creating generational wealth. She's also the advisor and co-founder of the DeRosa Group, which specializes in investing in single-family, multi-family, mixed-use, retail, and office. She also previously served as a board member for the Cerebral Palsy of New Jersey um, organization, and she graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with her master's in social work, and she's coming to us from New Hope, Pennsylvania. So, Liz, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Jeanette.
1: So excited to be here with you we're excited to have you on so you know we don't typically talk about this on ready to scale but today we're really going to talk more about women's role in real estate and how it's really becoming an emerging trend and i'm very happy to see that and that's something of course i want to continue to see uh what is your story how did you initially get into real estate investing
0: sure yeah it you know it's funny i was i was getting my master's degree in social work so i wanted to open my own practice i wanted to be a therapist um always gravitated towards that in my life i was just the one that was always i was the youngest of three girls helping everyone everyone came to me for advice kind of kind of kind of person and so you know at the same time though i really um had this yearning for like more in life and you know that i started getting into personal growth reading books and the next book that you know i was reading like anthony robbins tony robbins and just different books think and grow rich um my brother-in-law who's the only entrepreneur i knew um, said, you got to read this book. And it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was a little, you know, at the time, little tiny, small, little purple book. I said, what is this? And he's like, it's, all, it's a little different than just personal growth. It, you know, it talks about passive income, which I'd never heard of before. And then it and obviously weaves in, in in real estate inside that book. And that really opened my eyes. I know it's cliche. I know a lot of people talk about that book, but that really opened my eyes at a time in my life that I was 22. Right. So I didn't know much. I, I didn't have much to go off of, but I, I knew that I'm like, this is powerful. And I just didn't know how I was going to do it or get involved in, in obviously buying a property. I didn't know anyone that did that, but I knew it's something I wanted to do. And so simultaneously, I decided not to get a job in social work school. I ended up getting a job more in like consulting and sales, because that's the other recommendation in that book is that if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you need to know how to sell in the way that works for you, not just like selling things on the side of the street, but, you know, selling and serving. So, I, I took that advice, even though it wasn't like, you know, Robert Kiyosaki giving it to me directly. Um, and I decided to get a more of a job in that that vein. And then a couple of years later, after like taking courses, my then boyfriend, now I've been married 18 years, but my then boyfriend and I um, started going to courses and the local RIA meetings. Um, and then we got a loan from my father for 30K and bought our first duplex. And it was a property that was call off market. We just door knocked. We did a lot of calling, you know, for rent ads calling owners that were like landlords that were tired, you know, that strategy, um, you know, finding, finding owners that wanted to move on. And we found this one gentleman in a little town outside of Philadelphia called Roxborough. And he said, yeah, I'm interested. I have a vacancy. I'm interested maybe in talking with you. So we landed that property, um, as a row home, 150,000. And we got a loan from my father for 30,000, which was a really big deal. My dad was a school teacher. I was sharing with you a special ed teacher for many years. Um, Thirty thousand was a lot to my parents and a lot, you know, is probably most of their savings. To be honest with you, um, but they trusted me and they and they knew that that they they want to see us succeed. So I'm very grateful for that. Six uh, percent interest, which is wonderful, right? Um, and then we made that happen, and we that really got our start in investing, and that propelled us into small multi, which is what we've been able um, to really scale until we got into larger multi.
1: Wow, that is very fascinating. And I do agree with you. $30,000 on a teacher's salary is a lot of money. And Good deal. Yeah. And very likely, probably, you know, a good chunk of their retirement. And that had to put a lot of pressure on you. It did. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because you hear so many stories about, you know, how people get started in real estate and, you know, rather it's through simply taking out a loan or, you know, partnering, um, you know, with a KP or, you know, um, syndicating. Not a lot of people necessarily start off taking a significant loan from what they know as their parents' retirement, and then trying to start building a portfolio with that type of pressure, which is very different. So that's actually different and, and brave and bold. And I think it's actually a great segue into talking about how potentially maybe women do operate a little bit different in the space when it comes to, you know, not just multifamily investing, but real estate investing as a whole, you know, before we started recording, I was sharing with you, Liz, of course, that uh, that my start into real estate is a pretty dramatic story. Um, You know, several years ago, one of my daughters got really sick and she was diagnosed with autoimmune diseases. We were living in and out of a hospital. Mm. uh, What I thought would be just a couple rough weeks in the hospital turned into several years living in and out of a hospital. And, you know, it was really revolutionary for me. And in addition to that, believe it or not, I have another daughter who has a very rare syndrome that's causing her to go deaf. So I have four children. I was a single mom at the time. And here I'm looking at at least half of my children very likely going to need some type of supplement and financial support, most likely through their entire adulthood. And, you know, it's like, when you have to start thinking that way, forget retirement. That's like a baby goal compared to, you know, how in the world are you going to build out, you know, enough wealth and financial stability in your family to supplement your children for the rest of their lives or at least half your kids for the rest of their lives. That's literally what I was looking at. Mm. And so, you know, that's what led me into real estate investing. And it's interesting because, you know, while yes, you certainly keep emotion, out of, you know, business decisions to a great extent, I actually think sometimes it's my superpower because a mama bear, you know, that grit, that love and that dedication to your family, I'm pretty sure I'll outwork pretty much almost anybody, you know, outgrind anybody because I've got such a powerful why behind me that drives me. And so, you know, that's kind of just a tidbit of my story about how I got into real estate investing. And, you know, I could go on and on, you know, about all the factors of why multifamily, you know, assets and, you know, uh, the economies of scale. And, you know, if you really want to build true wealth, you've got to definitely look beyond, you know, your nine to five. Not going to make that on a salary. You're going to have to have multiple passive income streams. You know, we could get into all of that. But I I actually want to lean into talking about how, you know, maybe there are some unique aspects as women that we bring into real estate investing that maybe, you know, men necessarily don't. And I wonder, you know, maybe it makes us a little bolder. Maybe, maybe it makes us a little bit more conservative. I don't know, you know, so you have this whole community of women that you get to work closely with some insights that you've gained along the way that you think might be kind of some unique attributes to women in investing as opposed to men.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think you know I, I'll start before I share the attributes too that we're at a very interest, interesting time too for for women you know statistically we, we call we're calling it the women's financial Revolution and why that's the case is women currently control 10 trillion dollars of the of the economy which is quite high and for a variety of reasons in the next three to five years women that's going from from 10 trillion to 30 trillion that will be literally in the, the hands of women for a variety of reasons, right? We can talk to about on, on another podcast why that is, but that's really not the point. The fact of the matter is that now more than ever, women are at the helm of making these, these decisions. And it's interesting because then you look at the confidence level and the confidence level is very high for like running the household. Like as like the CFO, that's like 80%. Women typically, and all households are different, but women are typically more confident when it comes to managing, the money, managing the household income and expenses. That goes from 80% to, to 29% when it comes to investment decisions. And so that's really why our community exists to increase 29%. Um, and when women actually do invest, they outperform men as investors. So there's a gap, right? They're actually make great investors. And I'll share a couple, couple of things that I've seen and all the women that we work with and you know thousands of women and meetups we have and everything. Um, but they're not doing it enough. So there's a confidence gap. And the confidence gap is not like an intellect gap or an experience gap. Um, there's a lot of reasons for it. and so and knowledge isn't enough, you know, Jeanette, I don't know about you, but like you'll tell people this is the way to 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 maybe buying a rental property and they still don't do it. So it's mm-hmm. not a na- a knowledge gap, but it's a confidence gap. And the way we migrate um, man that or manage that is like to really build a community because when one woman does something, she brings her friends. You know, she goes in a group to go see Taylor Swift or go see the Barbie movie or go, you know, or go see Beyonce. Like that shifted the economy last summer. So women have so much buying power, but now we get to do that in in the investing world, in my opinion, whether you do it with women actively, passively, I don't really care, but just don't do it alone. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons for the success. If that, if I could share a few attributes, I think women are into win-win they want to build generational, they want to invest in real estate. What I've seen is there's such a deeper why than like buying a Ferrari. You <laughs> know, like there are women who want to, and I, it's funny, I interviewed a woman she's like, i like nice things. I'm like, good for you for saying that, you know, like whatever, like, whatever your thing is, but a lot of women uh, that we talk to also want to do it for passing along to the, to the, to their next generation and have a different lifestyle choices, it's not lifestyle. You know, so what makes women so effective though, is that they're into win-win. Um, they're into like collaboration. And I think this is a team sport, honestly. And I think you win, especially multifamily and large multifamily, percent. Um, you know, if you're buying a, a single family home by yourself and you wanna just buy one rental, well, you can get away with yourself. But if you're gonna get into anything of scale, anything of, of, of real scale, It's very hard to do this by yourself. You cannot be operationally focused and be a visionary and be relationship oriented and be an introvert um, and analytical. It's just hard to do be at all, and you're usually not great at anything. Then, so I think women lean into their strengths. I think they lean into building with other people, collaborating, Um, and so I think that's that's the biggest one of the biggest advantages I've seen. And it's also about problem solving. You know, a lot of women I'll hear. Um, so many women are like talking to homeowners, even if it's a, you know, multifamily or a single family, and it's about solving the person's problem. Like that's what we're in the business of doing. We're not trying to, we're buying a property. Yes. And we're solving a problem for them. So women come at it from that perspective versus, oh, I just want to buy a bunch of properties and tell people on a podcast that I own a bunch of properties. <laughs> that's really not, I, I don't know any women like that, honestly, even very, I think regardless of the scale that they've had, Uh, It's more about impact and meaningfulness and changing neighborhoods and doing right by people. And they do too. I don't want to dismiss that. But again, you asked me about what I think the advantage is, and they come from a win-win off the bat. And they are conservative, which sometimes limits their growth. However, um, I think it also, it it makes them more prudent, especially right now. If If they're doing a deal, it's a good deal usually.
1: Those those are excellent points. I really definitely appreciate those. And, you know, I think that, uh, I think you're right. It, it, that Those are very interesting points that you're bringing up, especially when you take it from a perspective of we want to have impact and we want to be able to, Feel that there's something more meaningful behind the things that we're doing with our dollars. Um, you know, I, that's a very solid point. And I, it's very challenging. I'm sure you've run into this, as I know that, you know, I have and probably anyone in the industry has. There's such a negative connotation towards landlords, you know, within the general population, right? Sure. So, you know, you try to go out and share with your friends what you do. It may not necessarily be received very well at all because, oh, you're the jerk that, you know, jacks up people's rents. Do you know what you're doing to people? You know, that's one perspective. But I love the fact that you're really highlighting the other part of the coin, you know, the other half of the coin is that women do intend to make uh, an impact and it is emotional and they do take pride in what they're doing and they do wanna do it very, very well. I don't know a woman on the planet that is, you know, not that generally is satisfied with sloppy work. I think the vast majority of women, you know, when they really put themselves into something, they put a hundred percent into it and they give it their all. Um, you know, I, I think that's those are some very good insights that you're gaining there um, or sharing with us there, I should say. Um, okay, good. Well, you know, one of the other things that I'd really like to talk about too. Is you know we're talking about what benefits we think women bring to the table. What do you think is holding women back? I know you already kind of touched on some of those points yeah. lately, but you know if we can kind of dig into them a little bit further, I think it could be really helpful for some of our listeners.
0: Yeah, I I think the biggest thing, I biggest thing that's holding women back are that they they have this imposter syndrome. They undersell themselves, so then that then they don't negotiate as good a good of a of a of a rate or negotiate as big of a percent as they they deserve in a particular project. So while they're bringing the team together and they're into win-win, they're just like taking the scraps, like whatever whatever the leftover is. And I just I just can't handle that just because it's not, it's not fair, it's not equitable. Um, I'll meet two people at a, at a workshop. I'll, I'll meet two different people. And again, I'm being super general, please guys listening, you know I'm being general here, but this is an experience I've had at a recent conference. I'll meet one guy and I'll say, how are you doing? And I love, I love guys. I have so many great, great guys I'm I'm good friends with in this business. And they're like, you know, I'm killing it. I got five properties. I'm just doing amazing. I'm like, good for you. It's so good to see you. Let me know if I can help you. And then we then we go on our way. Then I'll meet a woman. I'll say, How are you doing? And she goes, I'm just getting started, just you know, getting my getting my foot wet. I have five properties, you know, I'm just, just trying to do my best. Same exact portfolio and they have two very different approaches right one thinks they're killing it and one's just getting started and these are the words that they use that's a problem so that's a problem meaning i think we i think women do undersell themselves look at the the pay discrepancies women still make less money than men statistically Right. In corporate America. I'm not in corporate America, but they they it's still a case <laughs> that's still happening. Right. In in, in in today's world, that's still happening. Women and men doing the same job. Women are getting paid less money. So I think what has happened is that's gotten tra- I'm not an expert, but I think that's gotten transferred into also when we are entrepreneurial and we're running the business. Right. We're running the property. We're, we're in the helm of, of leading something. Uh, we take less than we should. And I think that's got to stop. And so um, I was working with a woman. She's part of our community. And she's a, you know, she's a badass, like just amazing woman. Uh, she has an expertise in, in self-directed IRAs and been around a while, has rentals. And she's telling me about this partnership. And I said, how much money are you raising? She's like, oh, I'm raising the majority. It's a 10 million raise. I'm raising about 8 million. Awesome, great, great to hear. I said, what, what are you getting for that? Oh, they're gonna pay me a, this, this, this small fee. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like it was just that way of being and, and that's got to stop. I don't think that helps the woman that's in the situation and it certainly doesn't help anyone around them. So um, I'm not saying women should oversell themselves, but they should not be taking scraps and handouts and the leftovers. Like that's a no-no. And it happens a lot in this business because you are at the helm of negotiating rates. You're negotiating deals. You're negotiating your place in a partnership. That happens every day right? And so, you know, how we move beyond that, I think what's really helpful for the women, especially in our community, is like, what's the going rate? Here's the value I bring to the table. And here's what the kind of like equitable and fair rate is for that. Like that's important information for women to know. So if if the going rate is, yeah, I I bring X dollars in in, in a community or X, Y, and Z, in general, it's about eight to 10% or there's a range. I think women need to get educated on what that looks like. And then they can say, okay, based on my skills and experience, I definitely deserve that. I'm not saying wing it because that's not really going to work in this business either. Because there's fair and equitable, you know, percentages for so many different things, right? Especially in multifamily. Um, so that's that's my two cents on that. I'll get off my high horse. But <laughs> I think we need to stop underselling ourselves and underselling our worth and and going, oh, we're just starting, we just, you know, just raised eight million dollars. Like we just got to stop that. You got to own what you do. In the way that works for you, but it should not be this like dismissive um, way of approaching because people are going to undersell you. They're going to undersell you for what you really can do. And that bothers me.
1: Interesting, interesting story Um, and solid. It's very on point. I I think it can be influenced a lot by perspective. I know that. That even though, you know, at Blue Lake, we've been able to really raise some pretty significant capital along the way, I still look at like Blackstone, you know, and think like, oh, we're nothing, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So I think sometimes, too, it may depend on where women are setting their goals versus where men are setting their goals. Sure. That's a really Um, good point. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, you know, I can say that I am I may be actually guilty of that because I just, I, I, you know, based upon kind of the people that I look towards and, you know, the success that I'm hoping that we achieve here, I I see us as like, oh man, we're barely getting started, you know, and we're just short of a billion dollars in transactions. And I'm still like, eh we got a long way to go. um so it may be that perspective too that clouds kind of the way that we're interpreting our levels of success uh sure. kind of going back to the why, right? um you know or maybe how how close maybe one person feels to you know really accomplishing their goal versus maybe women are just setting huge and bigger bigger goals. I don't know. Um you know, it's hard to say. I mean, it Uh, Everybody has their own, you know, motivations for sure. Now, you did start to touch into something that I have a pet peeve about. And so we'll get into that right after the break. Ready to Scale is brought to you by Blue Lake Capital, where we hunt down the best multifamily investment opportunities that we can find and invite investors to join in with us. We target Class B value-add multifamily properties across the Sunbelt. Our CEO, Ellie Perlman invests a substantial amount of capital into every deal. This means our interests are aligned with yours. If you're an accredited investor looking to expand your portfolio and diversify sponsors, be sure to visit us at bluelake-capital.com. Blue Lake Capital. Be bold, be extraordinary, and keep moving forward. You know, you were telling a little bit about that story earlier about, you know, this woman, you know, was able to raise, say, $8 million, you know, and brought it into a deal. So one of the things that I just want to scream, like, from the mountaintop and wave red flags all over the place is I see so many dangerous partnerships out there. And I think it comes. Yeah, it's a real concern to me. And I think it comes from a place of people simply not knowing what they don't know yet. And so, you know, for example, and I've had to explain this to way too many people. Um, <laughs> you know, you can't just raise money and be the be a GP. That's not. That's, that's not. That's a. That's a that's, a. that's a violation with the SEC. It is, and <laughs> you know, and it's really prevalent. And I see a lot of people getting into the, these dangerously structured partnerships that are, in fact, you know, not correctly structured and Correct. absolutely prohibited by the SEC. So. Hundred you know, percent. I just want to say, since we're talking so much about the fact that this is a team sport, and and it's a hundred percent true, there is no way that you can really grow and scale a portfolio by yourself. It's absolutely insane, yeah. and you will fail royally, and it will be a disaster. Do not do it. So you absolutely <laughs> need, you know, partnerships. And you know a team along the way, but it's also really important to make sure that the people that you're partnering up with know what they're doing, know how to stay in compliance, know how to do things you know the right way. Absolutely. Because yes, you need these partnerships, but oh, you've you really got to be cautious how those partnerships are, are structured. So not just even from a compensation standpoint, but you know also from a risk standpoint. Absolutely. And so, you know, and that's one of the things that I just want to make sure, you know, our listeners and especially women are thinking about since, you know, they may be more inclined to actually put together teams um, unofficially but that eventually mold into being official partnerships, but really are not, you know, correctly structured. So it's a great point.
0: No, that's huge. And I think there's always a level of, you know, active and passive in this business, you know, and, and, and you know, we got our start by actively going into partnership with, um, it was two two equity partners, you know, our, our partner put 50 grand in, we didn't put any money in, but he also had other roles. So it wasn't just money. And when it's just money, right, it's a, it's a problem with the SEC. I have that conversation so much in our community because that's really a, a big no-no. Um, but yeah, I, I hear you and I agree with you. And I think the goal always is just because they have the largest, the biggest megaphone on social media um, where it looks the most glamorous, and listen, I'm on social media, I'm growing a presence on social media, but there's more, there should be more depth. And if, you know, my, my good like tip for people, especially L, uh, LPs or passive is that if, you know, you, you start vetting the operator and the person who has the podcast, the person's like the face, there's always a face of any like, you know, company, And there should be right. The visionary, they're, the, they're the, they're the ringleader. They're, they're the excitable person. There's got to be somebody who's operationally running the business. And so if you start to ask questions, to that operator that is so of quote unquote on social media, Hey, tell me a little more about X, Y, and Z. What does the team look like? And a big red flag is if they can't really give you yeah, this person runs the day-to-day ops, they're in charge of asset management. This person, you know, does X, Y, and Z. And, and, and this is my role to be, to be perfectly frank, that to me is a red flag because Anyone that's like running a podcast and, you know, and and they're the operations person and they're running asset management and, 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 oh man, I would run very, very quick. I would run from that deal. My, my personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, So that's a good way to vet, you know, uh, is that you get, you get asked about the team and they can't give you much other people or other kind of partners, especially from the ops perspective, because that is where the money will be made and the business plan is getting executed, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Very good point. And um, in case, uh, no, in case anybody never understood why Ellie stopped hosting the podcast full time, and I got assigned the podcast is exactly, point, for, that right? like
0: point, right? <laughs> exactly
1: for that reason. Case in yeah. point, right? Exactly for that reason. There you go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, well, cool. So the last thing I'd like to talk about is going to be scaling. So you know, um, you've been able to scale your portfolio, we've been able to scale ours, but we're also coming at it from more of you know, an active investor standpoint as an owner and operator. But I really want to talk more because ultimately the goal is here, at least for this episode, is really helping women understand how that they can create wealth, right? So, you know, if we look at it from the passive investor standpoint, you know, I'm curious to know, what does your portfolio look like? And then I'll kind of share, you know, where I'm at and how I'm trying to also, you know, grow my wealth. So, you know, if you don't mind sharing about that.
0: Absolutely. So when my husband and I got started investing, we were super active and and I'd say we're still active in a sense, but I want to, I'll share like the kind of the evolution, right? Um, you know, we were buying properties, friends and family, and then we were able to scale and really raising, you know, raising money, working with investors. We work with four hundred investors, you know, to to date, multiple different syndications and, and projects. And you know, what has been helpful there is that we have built a team, right? To my, to your, to the point I just made, we were always very good at building relationships, looking for deals, um, getting things going. The person getting things going is not always the person who then maintains what has been going <laughs> in a very simplistic way, right? And so that was always a lack for us. And it really stifled our growth. Where then I started to do the operations and that's bad. I started doing bookkeeping early on, that was bad. So our active investments grew and we were able to get into larger multifamily with, with partners who really had that uh strength of operations and 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 running it to, to the you know the way it needs to be done. So we're still active in the sense of um, we haven't done a deal in a, in a year. We haven't bought a, a multifamily in a year. Our last deal was 700 units, um, five different properties in in 2022. So we didn't buy anything in 2023. It just just didn't make sense number wise for for us and our team and our investors. Um, so we we pivoted a little bit. So we're we have a we have an active fund that we lend out to people doing new construction. So you know we pivoted just like anyone should do in the market. So that's an active, but we have a partner with that too um passively so so we have a, and I, and I'm active really most of my time is is really um you know chart really charged with, with what we do at investor and building the community that's what my mission is and what I do a lot and I kind of oversee our passive investments as a family. so it's almost like okay what active businesses do we have and then anything we get involved in is like okay we're both actively doing things so I want to make sure we're growing things not just because we have to be the ones at the at the helm. So few few different things we've done. We um, actually got a HELOC on our house. We lend we lend that out to uh, an operator um, and get about you know about five percent interest between what it costs us and what we're getting, which is a five percent you know in, interest, which is great. But um, money that was never ours really. So um, the so that's a that's more of a, l- a lending play. Um, we're passive and we're LPs in about four different projects. Um, at this point we invest also in our fund so or our projects so we're kind of lps in our projects we're, we're passive and active if that makes sense in our projects and we also uh, work with other you know syndicators operators um, we just started working with a, a gentleman we, we we highly trust and vet vetted for a warehouse play so he buys warehouses in in, in cities and really kind of you know it's like a Ten-year kind of tenant, very different than multifamily, but but you know, in looking at, it, I'm like, whoa, the government's your tenant for 10 years. All right, well that that seems pretty secure. <laughs> that doesn't seem like that's gonna go 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 south. Um, so we're involved in a, in a, a, a warehouse. Um, we lend on a mobile home park. So we're involved in different assets, cl- And then most of it's multifamily, I'd say. Um, so yeah, we're always constantly saying what what capital do we have to deploy? How do we passively invest it? Uh, one of our goals this year is to buy a business. Um, we really want to buy a business that we don't have to operate and we partner with someone who's the kind of the core operator, uh, something connected to real estate, but not real estate, like, uh, you know, whether it's a, you know, car wash or something that has that like flair of, 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 you know, has a connection, but not quite, quite the same, uh, in terms of multifamily, I should say, not the same as multifamily. So that's kind of where our sites are on, on this year from a personal perspective. We, we meet monthly and we say, okay, what, what are we involved in? What are we investing in? What? What kind of capital do we want to deploy? Um, what return are we, we looking for? And mm-hmm. so that I think is a conversation, Jeanette, that so many people don't have. Um, you know, they don't before the question of like, do I want to actively invest or passively invest? Like, what are my financial goals? Because mm-hmm. if you can meet your financial goals with and you enjoy your job and you don't, you're not, you know, there's there's certain recipe. I would say it's like the 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 path of least resistance should mm-hmm. always be the, in my opinion, the path that people choose, <laughs> the simple yet effective path. And um, I think people overcomplicate things, and they get into they get into like rental properties that they should have probably never bought, and construction projects that were like a hundred grand of a renovation. Like, you know, that may not be your sh- first project. I mean, that that's and without a partner. You know, that that's taking serious risks. So, mm-hmm. to me, I'm I, I, and where I'm at in my life and investing for 20 years almost. Is where where do we continue to grow our wealth, um in in the passive least least resistance and do it in a way that is going to feed our family in long term? You know, in generations to come. Um, you know, I haven't really dabbled in like the paper assets. I'm uh, not that I'm opposed, but I just know tangible assets and tangible businesses is probably my comfort level or our comfort level. Um like the warehouse different, but it's still a tangible asset. So I love that's what real estate and businesses will do is it tends to be tangible. Not that I'll never invest in the stock market, um, or, or get into that, uh, that area, but I just, it's just not our priority this year and in, in for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, thank you for sharing, because I think that this is something a lot of people do want to know. They want to know like, okay, well, how do you invest and how do you yeah. invest? You know because they're trying to understand you know how do you kind of take this passive income stream that passive income stream you know you and that's really the key right is that you have to have multiple passive income streams to really start wealth creation, you know, period. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And so, you know, um, it's interesting to me to hear, you know, how you're investing. And and so, you know, just kind of to share a little bit about, you know, um, what I know that Ellie does. Uh, you know, so Ellie, um, is she obviously is super devoted to multifamily, of course, and she's also both an active and LP um, in all of our deals same as you. Um in addition to that she's really into VC. So she really likes to do some angel investing yeah. and you know venture capital and investing in you know potential um you know upcoming businesses that you know yeah. may be able to really you know make it. Now there's definitely a higher risk to that. Sure. You know uh, probably I don't know the real statistics but I assume maybe one out of 50 businesses actually succeed. I hate to say something that negative but I don't know. I mean it could be better or worse. You know but That's another income stream, right? And then it is owning, you know, some additional businesses, uh, between herself and her husband and their family. And, you know, so that's, I know how kind of they put things together. For myself, you know, obviously I'm all about multifamily as well. I also invest in all of our deals. Um, what I think is funny also is that a lot of people don't realize that sponsors will actually invest with each other as yeah. you know, invest as passive investors. And so a lot of times, you know, someone will ask me, like, hey, do you know this sponsor? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah. They're invested in this deal and that deal.
0: You know, And I think that's a good testament, right? I'd rather, you know, I'm happy to put money into other people's deals that have deals going on versus like, yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah. And I think it's cute that a lot of people
1: just don't realize how small our world is and how much we do actually even invest with each other. Um, You know, so I do that and I have actually gotten into the stock market. Uh, So, you know, uh, it's interesting. I'm not real far along in my journey. I'm still kind of figuring it out. Um, okay. Good you
0: know, for but, you good for you, yeah. you come on our podcast and tell us all about it because I, I think <laughs> it's an opportunity. It's just again, it's like that uh, unknown entity right So you kind of stick with what what you know, um, but I love that.
1: Yeah, 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 it is. I'm mainly focused on technology. So that's what I'm really kind of standing behind. Um, And it's also uh, one of my goals as well as yours, uh, you know, to also find, I mean, I kind of consider the stock market essentially investing in businesses, because that's exactly what you're doing. But of course, there's a lot more risk. And, you know, um, but, you know, kind of looking also to be able to definitely partner up with, you know, some other type of business with their own operator, whatever it may be, you know, something that I can get behind, Um, you know, but I was going to say, too, that, you know i was sharing with um my investor relations associate yesterday we were you know talking about you know the the, you know how uh, challenging it can be to raise capital right now and you know what really drives people to invest with one sponsor versus another and you know that's one thing that i i think we kind of lose sight of too is a lot of times i actually do believe that at least I can say for a good significant portion of our investors, I believe that they don't just invest with us because of the returns that we're offering, because you can see those same returns with other sponsors, right? I think at the end of the day, especially when you've, when you have, you know, become fairly wealthy and you can be kind of, you don't have to be quite as selective with your money and it doesn't have to always be just about the returns. You know, I really do believe a lot of our investors invest with us because they're actually just investing in us you know, in in us, you know, they like us, they want to see us succeed, you know, they're, they're happier to put their money that way, you know, into rather than, you know, another deal that might have 1% higher cash on cash projected, you know, or whatever.
0: Yeah,
1: right. And so, you know, I think that that's also um, a component that people lose sight of sometimes when we talk about capital raising and, and investors and, you know, why they get into deals. But, you know, nonetheless, um, there's a lot of different ways for people to build wealth. And that was kind of, you know, what I wanted to just touch on for the listeners today is, you yeah. know, it doesn't have to just be one way. And as a matter of fact, it's kind of better if it's not just one way. You do want to diversify because, you know, that's also part of mitigating risk, of course. Um, now, Liz, before I let you go, I know we've already been on for a while here, but uh, one thing that I'm curious about, and I think also our listeners might appreciate hearing Um, is, and I can't speak to it for sure, because uh, I just recently uh, got remarried after being an, single for a very long time, um, <laughs> is, you know, actually working directly with your husband. Uh, so what tips do you have for any spouses that, you know, are actively uh, investing together or running businesses together uh, that has, you know, kept you all sane and still liking and loving each other all this time later?
0: Yeah, right. Because it, it, it... I always say it could go it can go south very quickly because there's money at stake, there's a business at stake. You're working together. There's a lot there, right? And that's like the number one reason, you know, uh, married couples fight is because of money. So, and, and really, it's the core of of being, you know, in this business of real estate. So, yeah, you know, something that I'd say, like, I come from like 17 years later. My husband and I have worked full time together in the business. Um, I've worked part-time with him. I've worked strategically in the business. Um, we've had these various roles together, you know, and I've had them all. And so I think for us, I'm not the, I'm not the true expert, but I can say is what we've perfected is, you know, I always say you, you, you schedule what you value. And so working and building wealth with your spouse takes like being vigilantly, um, putting a schedule together visually on when you're going to meet to a talk about your goals to, to really look at things proactively together, look at the numbers and say, what could we be doing differently? Um, both planning, like the business planning and like wealth planning, which we have time on the schedule for the year. We have a re- recurring, you know, monthly meeting me and my husband. Um, and we schedule time for dates. That's really important. I think scheduling both of those buckets we already, um, we schedule a quarterly getaway together. It's already on the calendar. It's March, I think 9th. I already have the date on my calendar. Um, We schedule like a morning coffee together once a week, usually on the weekends when the kids are not up. I have young kids, they're a little nutty. Um, And we always do our monthly business slash kind of wealth building uh, as well. And then we have a family meeting as well once a month where my kids get involved with like, hey, this is what mom and dad are up to. And you know, what are your goals for the month? And uh, we give them their kind of, we call it not their allowance, but their monthly stipend, you know, um, instead of an allowance, it's like, this is what you get for being part of the family. And there's responsibilities there versus uh, an allowance. That's just what we've chosen. So we have those, those, those big pieces on the schedule and, and we do that on a quarterly basis. So that to me has been, and, and date nights, we have date nights, you know, as we, you know, buy at least one, one, one a month. So we do, we do a lot together and we schedule it. But I I believe that helps create this um, open communication. We we stay connected, um, things that annoy, and we get annoyed with each other all the time. I got annoyed at him this morning, you know? But we it, it allows space to talk about that stuff and, in a way that like, until it be, it's like anything in life, right? You don't wanna wait for a little thing to become a big thing. And that happens all the time in communication, that happens all the time in relationships. That's why relationships, sometimes really ch- are challenged, right? because that little thing becomes something bigger and bigger where it becomes overwhelming. And so we want to avoid that and that's the way to d- that's how we've found the way to do it and time together really works for us because we really enjoy each other's company uh, when we're not annoyed at each other um, <laughs> So you know it's not perfect. I won't say we have a perfect relationship. no one does, but we work at it and we schedule time together both for the our, our goals and wealth building, which is really important to us and we schedule like just fun time together and we do it quarterly like a getaway and we do a a monthly date and we are we're vigilant with that because when we we did it we've always wanted to do that like where we schedule it and then we're like oh we'll get to it we'll get to it and if we don't get it on the calendar a it doesn't happen and b the resentment starts to um build up and we have growing businesses him and i are like are you around this weekend am i around like we don't it's not like we have like one of us is not doing anything the other one has a growing business so it's huge for our relationship, especially because we go in two different directions sometimes. He's going to this conference. I'm doing I'm getting ready for my investor con. Like it's, you know, we got a lot going on. So um that's the tip. Schedule, schedule time together to talk about your relationship, have fun together and your and your wealth building would be my biggest tip. Um and, and take, you know, action to do after this, uh after this uh podcast. Excellent advice. Thank you
1: so much for sharing. And actually, that's a great segue to the last part of our interview, uh, which is what we call the lightning round questions. So the lightning round questions are just five quick questions that I ask each guest at the end of uh, every episode we have. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right, perfect. So when you're not doing everything that you just talked about, what do you actually do for fun? What's a hobby?
0: Yeah, you know, I actually really, Don't have a hobby, to be honest. I'm going to be very (laughs) frank with you. I want to be, I want to have a hobby. So one of my goals this year is to get into pickleball. Oh, nice, nice. Okay. So it's something I want to do, but um, you know, I actually really like hiking and I do actually make some time to hike because we have a lot of uh, hiking trails by my house. So uh, not every week, but like when I need a little breather and some solitude time, which I often do, um, I love hiking. I love being outside. It's like even just taking a walk to me is like a hobby. Just moving my body is a hobby. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but yeah, pickleball is the goal the sheriff. Nice, okay, good. All right, and what is something about you that most people don't know? Something about me that I have narcolepsy. So I fall asleep oh, wow. really easily and anyone close to me knows this, but yeah, it frustrates my husband often because we'll be out on like a date getting into a really great conversation and I like start to just, you know. Oh man. I like to say, I, like, I, I just start powering down, you know? It's like a computer. <laughs> not many people know that about me but uh yeah wow. so yeah that if you meet me at a conference uh if I start if we go out and have dinner I'll probably get really tired and just don't blame me <laughs> Well that's very challenging good for you for braving through that um
1: all right now uh what about as far as a book? Uh, now you know you did talk about of course rich dad poor dad or thinking grow Rich earlier um but what other book have you read recently that you think would really you know benefit our listeners?
0: I'm reading, we we have a book club part of our community, and I'm really getting into and enjoying um Ten uh Ten Times in Your Business by Dan mm-hmm. Sullivan. Um, and it's 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 a really great book. I would highly recommend. Uh, you know, he's lead strategic coach, one of the top coaching systems out there, very, very successful guy. All his stuff is great. Who not how. He's written tons of books. But what I love about it, I'd say for now, for, for people listening, is Ten times the ten times in your business or your wealth doesn't always mean ten times in the effort, and so he really gets into what that looks like and how to actually simplify, not have to do more. And I love that concept. And and uh, I just we just started reading, I think four chapters in. So, but I'm really enjoying that book a lot. Um, I think it's called the Ten Times Factor. I might be making the title up, but um, I just want to be specific. I feel bad uh, giving a, a name and not being correct. Ten times is easier than two times. That's Uh what it's called. 10 times is easier than two times by Dan Sullivan. Very cool. Okay.
1: All right. Now, Liz, one of the things that we also talk about on the show is, yes, we care about money, but really what we care about is our mission, you know, at Blue Lake Capital is to basically empower and help support our investors to build and live extraordinary lives. And so what would your advice be for someone that is focused on trying to live an extraordinary life?
0: I would say, you know, extraordinary is, I love that word extraordinary, but to, to live an extraordinary life, sometimes it's doing the simple things. And so for me, I would say, if you don't know what brings you joy, and I don't think most people do, if you meet most people who said, name the top five things that bring you joy, like they're not going to be able to answer that question. And so I think you need to be able to answer that question and incorporate the simple ways of joy and peace and happiness in your weekly. I mean, yes, we have epic vacations uh, as a family and we do this and we do that and just living life to its fullest. But I'm like, I'm not waiting for like, you know, our next trip to to have this sense of joy. Um, what can I do this week that brings me joy? I got, I know it's funny, but I have an eye mask, you know, one of the ones you put in the microwave mm-hmm. and it's like my new favorite thing. I always think they're like useless, but I love it. It brings me five minutes of like joy, which helps me create the extraordinary life, right? Because I have a five-minute break, gives me a sense of self-care. I take some deep breaths and then I'm rejuvenated. Well, that's an extraordinary life, right? It's not mm-hmm. just like epic vacations. So know your list of what brings you joy, which will add to living an extraordinary life, in my opinion. And it's typically the things that are free, it's the things that don't are not a lot of time, and 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 the things that we overlook. Often, that's my two cents. I danced with my daughter on Friday night. We had a dance party, me and my six year old. (laughs) So much joy that brought me. And I'm like, Do you want to watch a movie? She's like, No, I don't want to watch a movie tonight. I'm like, What do you want to do? She's like, I want to have a dance party. So we put Taylor, like a lot of Taylor Swift music on and danced. And I'm like, Had so much fun. That brought me joy. To me, that's an extraordinary life. Didn't cost me anything. Right. But I created a memory with my daughter. So, so I would say, have your list of five. And if you don't, spend some time figuring it out.
1: Excellent advice. I love it. Very good. I also recommend solo dance parties, which I am known for. Actually, Oh, there
0: you go. I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, last but not least, Liz, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you?
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. The, the, our, all of our kind of social media, we're, we're heavy into Instagram, uh, you know, it's at the real estate investor. I'd say the best way though, is that we have free events, uh, that happen twice a month free for, for people to engage with. We had one on um, optimizing RV parks. We have uh, one today on on um, you know finding deals. Like we always have really great topics. So go to our website, the real estate her, slash events and you can sign up. There's no strings attached. Literally, it is a free event and it's a free webinar. And we're just about creating that you know strong community for women. Um, and and if you're in the Austin area or if you're looking for uh, a conference to attend, I'd also welcome folks to to check out InvestorCon coming up June 2nd to 4th. um, We literally have this, we just pour ourselves into this conference, two and a half days. It's going to be in Austin, Texas. So um, you can learn more about that on our website too, but really excited about that coming up in the next several months too.
1: Very cool. All right. Well, Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. I really appreciate your openness and sharing. Great conversation And for those of you that joined us, thank you for investing your time with us today. Please don't forget to like, rate, and review the show. Leave us some comments. Let us know more about what you'd like to hear. And in the meantime, be bold, be strong, and keep moving forward. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.